Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're recording this on a Monday, a couple of days after the one-all draw with Brentford. And no, unlikely, Mason, we didn't forget to record the pod yesterday. We just waited a couple of days. Give us a bit of perspective. We'll chat about the game just gone and the enormous game to come on Wednesday night when the current champions and our big rivals for the title, Man City, are the visitors. We're joined by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Morning. Hiya. Good morning. Morning. Now, <laughs> we know what we're going to talk about for some of this podcast. Lee Mason forgot to draw the lines when he was doing the VAR. So we were wondering, what you've forgotten? At football, or what major mistake have you made at football? Uh, Adrian, I'm going to come to you first. Is this major mistake on the pitch when you were playing, or is this <laughs> off the pitch? Oh, there's a few major mistakes on the pitch. Missed a few open goals, oh, got sent that. off a couple of times for daft decisions. Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, forgot I wasn't a goalie once and, and tipped the ball behind the <laughs> over the bar and got red carded. Love seeing an out the outfield player do that, but okay. What what are you picking then? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick. It's from I was working for Arsenal Media. I was, I was on co-coms for the Olympiakos game in the Europa League in 2020, just before <laughs> COVID. That that night where I think probably Mikel Arteta caught it and. Um, and it was that dr- that dramatic ending. My head was absolutely frazzled by that 119th minute goal um, from the guy that played for Olympiakos. And I just had it in my head that that was the tie done. Um, that they were ahead on aggregate and they were leading on away goals. And then Aubameyang has an open goal miss, doesn't he? In injury time just afterwards, which would have taken us through. And my reaction to it was... It wouldn't have mattered anyway. It's you know, it's just one of those things. And it was like, no, it, it really didn't matter. I just yes, completely forgot, and I had to backtrack. So I ruined the moment on commentary because I was basically saying, ah, it's no biggie. It wouldn't have wouldn't have counted anyway. And 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 Dan was very polite and said, actually, actually. we would have gone through. So yeah, it was a bit embarrassing. 
Yeah, well, we all make mistakes and they should be a bit embarrassing. It's what teaches us that we don't do it again. Amy, what, um, I mean, I know you've got a few to choose from. What have you, uh, what? I have. <laughs> and, oh, sorry, that sounded like a dig, but it's, it wasn't a dig. Very allowed and uh, oh, very true. Um, I'm going to stick to the forgetting theme. I think glasses forgetting is the most significant for me. The, the Birmingham City League Cup final in 2011, which is always uh, uh, painful to bring up in any way, shape or form, went in. And as soon as I got through the turnstile on the other side in the concourses, I realised I, I didn't have my glasses. I then spent yeah. about 45 minutes pleading with the stewards to allow me to leave and come back in, which, of course, is not allowed uh, if you're a member Why? of the public in the crowd. Well, quite. But anyway... It was. Uh, it took a lot of persuading for them to, for someone to escort me out the stadium, back to the car park, see if I could locate my glasses. And I must have, <laughs> they must have fallen out my pocket or something as I was getting out the car. And uh, some, some very kind passerby must have noticed and stuck my glasses on the bonnet of the car. Yeah. I mean, I really wish they hadn't. In hindsight, <laughs> didn't really do me any favours, Mister Dugooder. But yeah, no. ended up uh, watching that and probably wishing that it had been a bit more of a blur. It's true, actually. If you'd have been sat with me and you wouldn't have had your glasses and you'd have said, what was the score? I'd have said, oh, 1-1. One, one. Don't worry about it, Amy. We're just going to leave. Don't worry about it. You know, uh, I wouldn't... Uh, yeah, for me... Well, actually, on uh, on Saturday, I came to the game and I, um, uh, I did uh, Adrian's uh, uh, breakdown. Yeah, breakdown. Um, right. uh, almost had another one when I saw the Lean Mason uh, <laughs> decision. But I did Adrian's breakdown show on Saturday. A lot of fun it was uh, as well. But you had to print out a ticket, which is very sort of 1990s. But anyway, I printed out a ticket and it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't work on the thing because uh, I need to change my toner on my printer, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, But we managed it because it was the wrong colour and it wouldn't read it for quite a long time. And the bloke on the door says, you need to change your toner. I thought, OK. Normally a printer gives you that message, but I get it from Arsenal Stewards, which is quite nice. Uh, anyway, I got in in the end. Apparently the rules didn't apply on, on our goal and uh, the goal was allowed. Well, let's talk about that. Not quite the bounce back we wanted after last week's defeat at Everton. We were hoping for a statement to say we're back and we're not messing around. This was something less than that. Uh, Adrian, you're the tactics guy here. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially... It looked to me like a very similar game to the one at Everton. Us probing around and going from side to side, creating not that much. And the opposition stretching us with long balls and creating a lot of presentable chances. Yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? And and I think we're going to have to get used to this, unfortunately, moving forwards. I think that is the blueprint a lot of teams are going to, going to set up with. I think we will find a way to unlock these, these defences. I think that, yeah, we, we saw a slight improvement in the second half. We created more... Quality opportunities with a bit more chaos, a bit more unpredictability. Um, I did notice from the, from the word go, Martinelli was a bit more central. Saka came in field as well. So I think that they've spoken about it and they're trying to mix up their positions and, and, and be a little bit less predictable with the movement. But yeah, they it's really hard to break down a team that's as defensive. My my bigger concern, to be honest, is is the defending. Uh, and our our fragility to those long balls up to the up to the front for the flick ons where where we're just able to allow teams to gain territory really really easily and in the case of Brentford create quality chances so oh, yeah, yes no. that that is something we really do need to fix moving forwards because the way that we play against the the, 
the, the more defensive teams. We need the full backs forward. We need to put create overloads, which leaves our centre backs a little bit, little bit vulnerable. And uh, in this game, Tony and Umbromo did did get the better of them, no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about our defending uh, in a short while, Amy. I mean, the bare facts are we we probably should have been at least a goal down at half-time, maybe two. Um, when you look at Brentford's record against the big six or seven, they've got 12 points from eight games, including two games against us, one away at Man City, which they won. Also, they were unbeaten in nine coming into the game. Do you think that being the case, that a draw, albeit a point, two points taken from us by some idiotic VAR, which we will talk about in a second, but do you think a draw may turn out to be a good result, a good point, almost like the Newcastle one? Uh, that's probably a question that needs asking after Wednesday night at, you know, 11 o'clock or whatever it is. And that'll be a bit clearer. Yeah, too early to say. But I just found myself, I came away from that and I thought about a game in 1998 that Arsenal played when they were trying to win their first title under Wenger against Derby County at home. It was a really crap game. Arsenal didn't play well. And it was one of those where they were totally expected to you know, do the job, no problems at home against uh, a, a team that wasn't expected to be particularly problematic. Emmanuel Petit came up with a goal out of nowhere and Arsenal hung on. And it was a real case of like nothing mattered except the points. And I think if you're going to win the league or you're going to put together a title run, you need games where you're, you know, like you say, maybe Arsenal could have been a goal or two down at halftime, but they weren't. Maybe Arsenal were struggling to make a breakthrough, but they did. You know, this should have been uh, one of those one nil, three points, go home, thank God for that matches that you need in a title run. And I think my biggest frustration really is, you know, for reasons that are very obvious, that that didn't happen. And it's not about who deserved it or how well anyone played or anything like that. Sometimes it's just not about how well you play or how well the opposition play, but you just get the job done. And it should have been that. And that's what's grinding. Yeah, it it is tough. And yeah, we found a way eventually, didn't we, to break them down and then, and then conceded a really scruffy goal. Um, I think, I I don't want to sort of go back to me and Amy and our, our sort of desire to, to bring in a striker that's a little bit different. But I do think in games like this, having the option to bring on a more physical, robust centre forward against the deep line defences, where sometimes you've just got to sling the ball into the box and either get a clean header on it at goal or knock the ball down for an onrushing teammate, that's what we're missing. Ivan Tony. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Ivan Tony is a player that... I think we've both talked about um, in regards to Arsenal and how he could do a job. But yeah, I, I just think we needed a Giroud in this yeah. game. So yeah. Someone to, to, to be able to hold the ball up, but more importantly, attack balls when, when they're put into the, into the box. So yeah, that's, that's where we're a little bit short. And I think we all know that. Yeah, I think we do. Uh, now, we know now, of course, that Brentford's equaliser should not have stood. Lee Mason, the VAR official, checked and cleared the incident. But for some 
unfathomable reason forgot to draw the lines. Uh, even though when it comes to offside, uh, drawing lines is his only fucking job, isn't it? Anyway, uh, Howard Webb, the chief refereeing officer of the PGMOL, wrote to us and Brighton, incidentally, this weekend to acknowledge and explain the significant errors in the VAR process. You can imagine they probably just have a pile of copies of that letter in the office where they just leave the name of the team blank. You know, who are we sending them out to this week? <laughs> Amy, I remember early in the season, I think it was you that said that refereeing could have a big impact on Arsenal's season's outcome. I mean, it might have. Well, there are four particular incidents that people are pointing to in the five matches that Arsenal have dropped points where there have been some pretty questionable stuff that's gone on. So yeah, it's not it's not ideal, is it? I mean, I, it's so hard because on the one hand, you know, emotionally you just want to rant and cry conspiracy because well, let's do that then. It's not a conspiracy. Okay. We, we could do that, but on the other hand, uh, as Adrian says, I, I I've I've always tried so hard to have to work on the assumption that there's more incompetence than bias. Now there may be subconscious bias, and that's slightly different. But in terms of conscious bias, I think if you go down the road and assume that that's what's going on, then we really are in trouble. But I think there are certain things that you could dispute. And indeed, I have done for a while now. I remember going and talking to one of my editors. I think it was probably 25 years ago when I noticed quite how many referees and officials there were from the Northwest. And it's actually got worse since then. I just find it a bit unfathomable that we can't have enough good quality referees that you take away that idea by just making sure that the people that are in charge of matches really don't have anything to do with those parts of the world. But you look at the map of where the rest are from, you know, tell me, tell me why there is not a single official from London or the, or the South East when the amount of the population that lives there far outweighs the rest of the country. It's weird, right? But the other thing that I think... It, is an attempt to be a bit more open-minded about this. Obviously, the whole thing really needs modernising and education of officials, where they come from, getting a greater pool is part of it. But who are we asking to control VAR? Now, I, I, I was a bit cheesed off when I looked up and realised that I'm actually the, more or less the same age as Lee Mason. That was depressing. Um, but, you look a lot better on it, aren't you? <laughs> Well, maybe slightly less bald, but... um forgetful. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I am quite rubbish with technology. Producer Abby will, I'm sure, be waving around, going, ha-ha, yes, we know all about that. I mean, I can, if I can join a Zoom call, I've done quite well for the day, you know. Like, why are we getting people of that age to be in charge of what is really the very technical side of this job? There are so many whizzes, whiz kids who are so brilliant at the data and the technology and the um, electronic side of, of all this stuff, who are getting jobs across the game because they've got, they're very, very clever people with a really smart skill set to do with technology. Now, these people are clever enough to be taught the rules. I think the fact that you've been a ref in the middle of it is one thing, but we're asking people to look quickly and efficiently at the technology and make it work. Oh, and I, I just mean, think we could be broadening out who we're using in those VAR uh, control centres and maybe having some, you know, more efficient people in there. 
Although I would add at this point, that all he had to do was draw a line. All right, it ain't. You get a ruler and a pencil and draw the bloody line. But should it um, come down to someone having to draw a line? You know, we, we had semi-automated well, outside. It won't, outside at, it won't in a couple Cup. of years, uh, yeah, but, but uh, Adrian. If, if it, it was at the World Cup, if it was ready for the World Cup, it, it should be ready for us. Look, I watched it because because I, I jumped into the from where we were sat. I jumped inside and I watched replay after replay. And my instinct to to Nick Bright, who was presenting the show, was. Norgard, look at yeah, Norgard. Look at he looks Norgard, offside, yeah. Yeah. and we never got the view of it. We never got the side-on view. They didn't check it. It it, it was absolutely bizarre. Mikel was right, by the way, about the first offside that he was obsessed to buy. In terms of, you're not allowed to stand goal side in an offside position and block off a defender from dropping off. That that's a foul, or an offside has to be flagged up there, whether whether he. He's involved or not, so so he he was right to check that, and he was wrong not to not to actually disallow the goal for that, but but not to then go and check the the one that I think anyone that was watching replays of that at the time, like I was, would have said, well well that guy Can he looks look he looks like he might offside it is it is so poor it's unbelievable it um, is so but, poor and it but, and you're right Adrian and the fact is it might cost us the title. So as much as I understand you don't want to rant, every Arsenal fan, the whole of Twitter for the whole of the weekend has been doing exactly that. But you're not going to get the points back. There's no point ranting. It's it's a bit embarrassing, if I'm honest. But, oh, give us our points back. It's not, not going to happen. Not about that. It's not, it's not about not gonna, that. We're not going to no. replay the game. You're I, right. I'll tell you what, though. I t- even as hard done by as I feel, and I do, and if we don't win the league by two points or less... You know, we're all going to be outraged. Absolutely. The truth is, Brentford had a perfectly good goal disallowed in the first half when Tony flicked the ball on from Buermo. Just watched Not it back foul. this morning. Gabriel slips over. I didn't see a foul. You know, he goes on and scores. OK, the whistle had gone. Maybe Ramsdale would have saved it. But that, from, you know, I, I can't I can't say that we're going to lose the league because of that. No. All right. I mean, look, fair enough. I'm just, I'm just saying that we, to a certain extent, we represent... You know, the slightly, maybe a bit more articulate <laughs> end of the fan base. So we don't want to be ranting uh, in the way that I know some people are on Twitter. But I was, I mean, I was, I was okay when I left the ground uh, because I thought, oh yeah, one or well, we didn't play particularly well. We, you know, it was a tight call. They said it was uh, onside. It must be onside. When I got home and I find out that um, Lee Mace, they've he said that he forgot. I mean, forgot. It's so pathetic. I also, by the way, love the idea. I think we should have. Uh, um, some sort of pearly king running out as referee, right? <laughs> we need as many many cockney referees we've got just to pop up. Call blimey, governor. I do believe that was an offside and no mistake. Um, while we're talking about, uh, we mentioned our defending, William Saliba. Adrian, I want to ask you this first. I mean, he looked amazing when he stepped in the team. I mean, Ivan Tony is an incredibly difficult opponent. I mean, he wins headers against absolutely everyone. But do you think, there is a an element of William Saliba looking his age at this point. He looks a bit callow, maybe. No, not really. I still think I still think he's having a very good season. He was perfectly fine at Everton last weekend against Dominic Calvert Lewin. He's been great in the big games or the vast majority of the big games this season. He came up against an Ivan Tony that was, I think, exceptional actually on the day with he the was way very that he, good. he he backed in. By the way. On the goal, that should never have been a free kick. Foul, yeah, should never have been a free kick the way. because Tony was was holding him. Um, but no, I, I just think sometimes a centre half 
will lose the individual battle against the striker. And that's what happened in the game. Yeah, you could say he's not as strong as Tony on the day he wasn't. Who is? He, Who yeah, is? But but I, I don't think we should start to think, is he the right man or anything like that? Um, I've noticed that the fans aren't singing the Saliba song as much. I think that most a lot of fans are probably thinking his form's levelled out, but it's still a really good partnership with Gabriel. So, yeah, no dramas, I don't think, with, with Willie. Amy? Don't, don't you think over these last couple of games, I mean, this is the thing, it's like so there seems to be a developing narrative of, oh, this is how to play against Arsenal and look at how these teams are doing it and now they've got to find a new way of getting around it and can they? I mean, is there not a bit of an argument that this is just a bit of a lull in form and that, you know, from front to back, Arsenal are not, are not playing quite as well. You know, individual players are not playing quite as invigoratingly as they were a few weeks ago. It happens. It's a long season. Yeah. It's, come, it's come at a bad time and it's come at a difficult time in that um, the way that it might be freshened up at times isn't available. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus is still a huge miss, in, especially in those kind of tight games where his particular brand of kind of ferocious determination and quick feet around the area just might open something up. You know, I think everybody's aware that Arsenal have got to be a bit cleverer than just trying to float in high balls as a sort of main attacking strategy in matches like that. But it, I think confidence comes into it, a little bit of nerves. It, the, the ground felt a little bit more edgy and anxious than it has done, a bit quieter. That's a truth. You know, the crowd has been incredible this season. We've talked about it a lot, but you could feel butterflies in stomachs almost and that you know cascades down and affects the the air that the the players are breathing in as much as you know everybody being really really vocal and supportive it's it's just been a a really hard couple of weeks and I think with the game on Wednesday it's just on the one hand you can say is it a worry that a lot of players are not quite in tip top at the moment Instead of everyone get you'd look at earlier on in the season, you, you'd be struggling to give any player less than eight out of ten for any match. It felt like everybody was just on it. And what are you giving the man in the last couple of games? You're struggling to find an eight out of ten. They they know yeah. that everybody knows Sixes that. You know, you're not, they're they're humans. They're not robots. They cannot deliver, you know, the same level of excellence for nine months. It's just not possible. So it's just trying to arrest this, and you know, it feels. Nerve-wracking but exciting that the game on Wednesday is 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 going to have probably quite a big impact on how that rolls. Well, that is huge, and we'll talk about that uh, in the second half of the pod. There were two pieces um, on the Athletic this week, Adrian, about Mikel Arteta choosing the same eleven. Uh, one before the match suggests that this has, has shades of title-winning teams like Leicester and uh, Chelsea, Conte's Chelsea. And the other, written by James McNicholas after the draw with Brentford, suggests that Mikel might need to consider mixing things up. Do you think he does, Adrian? And where do you think he needs to mix it up? We don't have too many options, do we? No, not really. I mean, as Thomas Frank said afterwards, we, we know how to set up against Arsenal because they're consistent in their selection, but they're really, really good at what they do. So it, it, it's tough for everybody. So if you're really, really good at something, there isn't, it shouldn't be any urgent desire to, to rip things up and start again. I personally love settled 11s because of partnerships that develop, chemistry, 
you know, instinct. I, I just think it helps no end. But if there is a situation where a player is having a dip, then I think it is the manager's responsibility to just shake things up a little bit and, and give other people a chance. And, and maybe in the case of Trossard for Wednesday night, he may well have done enough to pit Martinelli to a, to a starting berth. That's my opinion. don't know whether that's the opinion that, that the manager shares, but I think that's that's an obvious change. Elsewhere, I don't really see much else. I think the one thing I would change, but not for not for this game, is that I would I would consider Kieran Tierney a little bit more often for matches against ultra defensive sides because you want to create overloads and action out wide. You want to stretch the pitch against teams that that have five men five man defences. And Tierney is a is a great stretcher, and uh, and maybe you could you could in theory have a Zinchenko playing as Granit Xhaka and maybe leave him out because Granit without that space between the lines is a little bit less effective. I think that Zinchenko has got the progressive passing to to unlock doors maybe more than Granit. So yeah, those are a couple of little things that that maybe we can change. But in general, let's not start moaning about having a settled eleven. I think I think we've all wanted something like that for for donkey's years, haven't we? I, I know I have. Yeah, Amy. If there, I was going to ask Adrian um, whether you think often the substitutions and the changes that are made seem quite like for like, and whether yes, you yeah. think that that is something that in those tight games where. Arsenal are trying to break down and look for something extra that I don't I, I'm not sure what the options are like you say that that's one of them but I mean obviously throwing on a big centre forward sort of isn't unless you go kind of like haywire and put Gabriel Magalhaes up front or something and do something completely wild I mean I always had this strange vision of uh, I remember Tony Adams had this thing that he used to do at times when it was a bit of a tight game that wasn't really going anywhere and he just it was like charge he suddenly picked up the ball from centre back and just went yeah. and just just went as far as he could driving with the ball and yeah. somehow it was he was like a disruptor mm. it was like suddenly everybody had something else to think about and I was sort of thinking looking around the team going come on someone like someone needs to just mm. go and do something unexpected rather than just keep passing from side to side and looking for the little openings and it just feels Completely a bit true. like is there a point at which Arsenal get a little bit braver somehow to go for it in the last 10, 15 minute of games. And just an, another quick side note, when you're talking about Zinchenko possibly playing the Xhaka position, what about his shooting? Because <laughs> he's taking a lot of long shots and, and I think, I'm, you know, admire different ways of trying to score in those difficult games. But it's interesting for a player as technical as him that his shooting seems to be quite wild. I'm sure he can shoot. I'm sure it's just... Thomas Partey was yeah, wild yeah, yeah. And, and, and awful and then, then he banged a couple in the top corner. Sure. On that point, Amy, that, that was probably where I wanted to go next. So, so you were on the same wavelength. I absolutely do think that that's something we need to mix up. We saw Pep in the game against Villa last night start with a back three. It was sort of a 3-2-2-3. Three, two, two, three. Um, what I think I'd like to see, and we've had we've got a glimpse of it in pre-season, is be, having that option... Op- having the option to just go with two up front at times and to maybe play with with three at the back, three, four, one, two or whatnot, just to give opponents something different later on in games. Um, But the point that you make about creating chaos by players doing random things, 
that is equally as important within the same shape because then that 4141 becomes something very different, doesn't it, if someone does something unusual? You've been talking about chaos. You were talking about chaos at the weekend. You said there was more in the second half. So I guess that is what we need. I, also, by the way, one briefly, um, are we missing Emil Smith-Rowe more than we perhaps would have acknowledged the way that he can break the lines in the way that maybe other midfielders don't? Uh, well, I, I, I w- that would have been the change, wouldn't it? If for Granit Xhaka, instead of Fabio Vieira, um, who, who has had some good moments this season, but has also had some games where he's frustrated... That would have been the change Mikel would have liked to have made, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Smith-Rowe for Xhaka, someone to travel with the ball, commit defenders, because that's what you have to do against these robust shapes where they, they're super disciplined, run at players, draw, suck them in and play around them. And, and that when Smith-Rowe's on it, that's what he brings, isn't it? So, yeah, I, th- I think we really miss Smith-Rowe and Jesus in this game, actually. Quite. I just think that the angles they create were would have been handy. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I did great, you see. I, did, I mean, I did great. Yeah. I won the European Cup, Winners' Cup. I won the Spanish Cup. I won the Super Cup and finished second in the league. And we played 14 games more than Real Madrid did. Capella was at um, Real Madrid. He won the league by two points. He won it by one, one game. And we played that year 14 games more than they did right. that season. Because we went all the way to the European Cup Winners' Cup. Yeah. They didn't even play in Europe that year. We right. did. And we won it. So we played all those matches. I lost my job. That was the unmistakable voice of Sir Bobby Robson talking to me, George Culkin, during the months and years before he died. Thanks to the generosity of his family, The Athletic are marking what would have been Sir Bobby's 90th birthday this weekend with Bobby 90, an exclusive four-part podcast series featuring previously unheard interviews with one of football's most iconic figures. It's packed with stories about growing up in the North East, managing Newcastle United, Barcelona, England, as well as players like Gazza, Brian Robson and Alan Shearer and it details his repeated bouts with cancer, establishing the charitable foundation which carries his name. It's Bobby at his charismatic and emotional best. Listen to Bobby 90 for free by searching for Paul on the Tyne on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all usual podcast providers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We need to move to the next page, um, ask our people to be with us because we're going to need them and we have to create a, an incredible atmosphere on Wednesday here. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark with you two days before, I think it's safe to say, one of the biggest games we've ever had at the Emirates as we take on Manchester City. Um, the bare facts are if we win, we go six points clear with a game in hand. If we lose, they go above us on goal difference, although we will still have that game in hand. But psychologically, that would be a big moment if it happened. Um, Amy, 
everyone will be up for this. Players, fans, hopefully officials as well. They won't forget what they're meant to do. I know you were talking before the break about the form. With a game like this, I know it's a cliche, but does form go out the window a little bit? I don't know. I just, you know, I can think of examples to back up either side of the the yin and the yang, if you like. Um, I can really remember going to a few games where the form was so awful and being very pessimistic. One that springs to mind is the win at the Bernabeu. If you look at our form before that, we were absolute dogs. And uh, I remember walking around the ground outside with a mate, just sort of feeling so... uh, I couldn't find it. I'm normally quite optimistic. I couldn't just couldn't see where it was coming from, and the performance on the day was sublime, perfect. 95 minutes up, the final whistle. A simply staggering result for Arsenal. So short on resources, so lacking in pre-match confidence. They have made history tonight by becoming the first English club ever to beat Real Madrid on their own stately patch. In the Bernabeu, it finishes courtesy of captain Thierry Henry. Real Madrid nil. Really, really, Arsenal won. And you can have other ones where the form is good. And, you know, this is a good opportunity. And uh, things don't work out. So I'm, I think it's so hard to call. I think what's interesting is that I'm sure Mikel Arteta would have used quite a lot of psychological tricks prior to the Brentford game after Everton to try and make sure that, you know, things turned around quickly. And obviously it didn't quite work out. So everybody within that dressing room is going to have to dig extremely deep. But also it's going to require some some good fortune. You know, there is still a sense of just watch back the game from a year ago when Arsenal played City. And I think all of us will probably agree that that felt like a big turning point in the whole project, if you like. That was the one where, rather than the result, the attitude from Arsenal made you believe that something different was a possibility than what had happened before. But the result didn't come and you still look back at that daft sending off and, you know, what could have been... a, a a turning point result as well as a sort of pivotal um, match. Martinelli's miss as well. Ended up being something different. But I think yeah. if, I think if the players put themselves back into that mindset and remember how they felt, how much they put into that, how, how you know, if you think of a scale, uh, you know, in terms of their kind of, um, their focus le- levels for everything to be just so, you know, they were as close as they could get at that point in time to 100% what they all gave yeah. into that match. Yeah. And yeah. they've got to get there again from a, you know, from a start where they're not quite where they want to be at the beginning of the week. No. no. They could, they've got to find those levels. It has to be. It has to be. And we also, like I keep saying this, it's not about Everton. It's not about Brentford. It's not about Man City. It's about Arsenal. And, you know, they've got their own stuff going on, like, psychologically. Obviously, they've got a siege mentality that they're only too happy to sort of bounce off to try and give them a kind of a, a, a new head start. But it's up to Arsenal to think about us and what we need for our own, you know, our own you know, ability to kick on this season. And it has to happen now. 
It does. Adrian, um, I had a mate uh, text me late last night in some distress, to be honest, Arsenal fan, saying, oh, I'm so gutted with Lee Mason, blah, blah, blah. You need to help me. What do I, you know? And I, so I said to him about the Man City game, I said, the thing is, all the teams that we've dropped points against this season, Brentford, Everton, Southampton, even Manchester United, by the way, in that game where uh, we lost at Old Trafford, they've sat back. They have sat back. I said, Manchester City will not sat ba- uh, sit back. They have to win, really. That being the case, does that give us more of a chance? Because that's what I said to him. And he sort of, he, he, he rang off. He went, oh, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks, Tony. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, keep them coming. I said, I will. But was I right or was I trying to convince myself or what? I think so. Obviously, the, the threat of whoever plays up front, whether it's Haaland or Alvarez and, and, and Kevin De Bruyne in particular, who's very <laughs> tends to be very good against us. Um, you know, that's scary, a scary proposition. But I think there are risks that we should take here, that we should... We should what I want to see from us is pure hostility. Yes. Just aggression everywhere, all over the pitch from minute one. Because this Manchester City team has cracks in it and the cracks are at the back. You've just got to get at them. You've got to get into those areas to force mistakes from them. And the only way we'll do that is by being hostile and aggressive and getting those regains where we can be quick and release a Saka or a Martinelli or a Trossard or an Eddie in behind. Um, that's why I think Martin Erdegaard is absolutely a key man here. You know, he's so often the trigger for those presses where we go and squeeze and, and win the ball back. And obviously he'll, he'll also, you know, need to outperform De Bruyne. But but yeah, I think, and, and he want to squeeze that space for, for Rodri, who's such an important player for them. For me, it's about attitude and a mindset. That That's what we loved last year about the game, the aggression. And and, and we, we just took it to took them. Took it to them, we did, didn't we? And, Front foot. But, but what we didn't have then, we had a little bit more naivety, obviously with the, with the silly red card, with the penalty we gave away. You gotta, you gotta be. It's an old cliche. You gotta be red hot. You gotta be burning hot with with your sort of off the ball work. But then in the in certain moments inside both boxes, you've got to be ice cool, haven't you? And that and that is the balance to be struck. Amy, I'll come to you in a minute. But Adrian, just one more thing in terms of playing in a game of that size. Do the players sometimes need calming down? I guess it's different personalities. But is it almost you don't want them? to go off too quickly in a game like that. It, they, like you say, they have to be calm as well. I never had the joy of being in a game like this, unfortunately. But yes, I mean, I played a big, big games, you know, at different levels. And yeah, it's what I'm talking about. You've got to be, you've got to be at boiling point for, for, for a lot of the game. You've got to be because it's about, you know, it's a fast paced game. You've got to be fully switched on. But then, when chances fall your way, or when you have to do a, a last-ditch piece of defending, you've got to you've got to stay ice cool, and it, it it's something that we don't know if this team has yet. I think they've shown it at, at certain times this season in the big games, but if you think about our our key wins this year, Man United, Liverpool, Spurs, they're all quite frantic matches where we lived on the edge and we we sort of flew by the seat of our pants, and we, we other teams did get chances. I, I think that's where we're at, if we're honest. So. I'm expecting it to be a bit, bit more of a sort of um, an open end-to-end game than certainly the cup match. If it's a chess match, I think City might 
might have a bit, you know, they might have more than us um, yeah, which is because why they've we, been involved in so many down the years. Yeah, which is why we can't allow that, allow it to get that way. I mean, Amy, the fans are going to have a big part to play on Wednesday, aren't they? They need to be fully engaged. Yeah, but I'm more interested in the players. And um, I think in the last two matches, there's been little flare-ups where the players have got themselves overheated. And that is a slight concern as well. Um, just listening to what Adrian was saying. I, I, I think that was a bit of frustration boiling over in both the games against Everton and Brentford, where all of a sudden there's a bit of handbags and all the players come rushing in. And people are getting a, a bit hot and bothered. And Neil Mopay could wind up anyone, though. Yeah, I know, but then it happened fair. again against Brentford. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. two games in a row. And you can see that, that I think that's pressure. I think that's the players feeling that pressure desperate to make things happen and it not quite going the way that they want and you know we've all felt like that at times in our lives and and I think Man City will have more ability to be smart on that and play games there and maybe try the odd wind up or not get so wound up themselves so that's yet another level where I think we have to be really on our game. Adrian? I was just going to ask Amy about the risk to reward. It feels like the the reward of a win here is is so much greater than 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 the risk of defeat. Do, do, you, do, you, do you see where I'm coming from? Can, can I add a supplementary, chance. Adrian, to the, to that very question? Sure. Mm. If it's ten minutes to go and we're one all, do we go for it? I think so. I but, think we but, will. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do. Even yeah. though one all would not be the worst result. Compared, if losing it and them going above us would hurt deeply, wouldn't the it? The attitude, I think, the attitude of this team is let's take it to them and let's let's win. Let's. Get, I think that's Mikel's. You know, that's his value. Amy is nodding vigorously, yeah, here. isn't it? I don't, different at the Etihad. One all at the Etihad. If we've already won this game, yeah, of course you you probably settle for it. You don't take as many chances. But there's a big, big, big reward for winning this game, and. I'm not saying it's a free shot, but I would love for the players to almost detach themselves from the pressure and just see the opportunity that's before them and just have a bit of fun with it. That's because they'll have if they're hostile and aggressive in everything they do and they work, work, you know, they don't leave anything out there on the pitch. They'll enjoy the game. That's just that's just what I want them to. That's what I want them from the players anyway. Amy, do you concur? You do, don't you, really? Enjoy well, I think that's what the message will be from the manager. I mean, he's, you know, this kind of got this win monster mentality. And I don't think that he will be settling. I don't think that's what he does. Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> I mean, I am. I've got to be honest with you, because you pay your price, you pay your season ticket to go and see games like this. I want us to be competing at the top level. Of course, I'm nervous. But I'll be less nervous on Wednesday than I was before Saturday. Saturday felt weird to me. Whereas Wednesday, we know what we have to do. We've got to take it to a team who will be coming to, to, to try and win three points as well. Why did Saturday feel weird to you? Because uh, because I, I I just felt... I mean, I said before the pod... I so, Sorry, I said before the game on the podcast, I thought no one is going to enjoy Saturday. And I think there was just a general feeling after what happened with Everton, a certain nervousness, you mentioned it, creeping in. And I and I think everyone noticed it, and I, and it, obviously there was a huge noise when we scored the goal. But was I confident we would hold on for a one nil? Not really. Whereas in the other games, whereas in the other home games when we've been taken the lead, 
I've generally felt pretty calm about it. I didn't feel that at the weekend. That's because it's the second half of the season. Mm, and that's the because the, everything's closer. I, I can't wait. It's going to be like this every game. I don't think it's like, oh, Brentford game, I felt we had a bad feeling, but I'm looking forward to Wednesday. I think I mean, you'll find every single game at the moment. Yeah, they're all going to be tense. That sense of trepidation is... I think Wednesday is, is, I, I think Wednesday is, so, is just so huge. I'm looking yeah, but, forward to it from the, the pure so, bigness. Uh, I'm with you, Stoney. These are the kind of games we've we've watched on with Envy at over the years. We've we've had to watch City v various teams yeah. in these huge colossal title, you know, City Liverpool games. We're actually in it now. We're in that movie ourselves, and let's just enjoy it. Like it was quite nervy in the race for the top four. It's quite nervy when you you're thinking, oh, we might not get a European place. You know, the battle for seventh. You know, you can I'll find nerves, nerves in any in any yeah, game, but surely the nerves of being involved in a title sort of not a decider, but a, a title defining match. I mean, bring it on! This bring this on. is the kind of match I've been desperate to to be at for donkey's years. When was the last time we were at the Emirates and there was a, a league game as big? as this, as important as this. It's just, let's just have have a bit you know of fun with it. The last one was Arsenal-Leicester when Welbeck scored the header. And I mean, that's obviously mm. not quite the same thing because Leicester were, uh, uh, you know... Leicester. Not, <laughs> well, Leicester, oh, not backed by a nation. my sentence for me. Sorry. Yeah, but not, you know, the perennial, ogreish, you know, very, very powerful uber winners. No. Uh, you know, there wasn't quite that same sense of kind of... You're the you're the the underdog kind of fighting the power. And we were chasing, weren't we, at that point? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. yeah different. But it's probably you know as you say that was that was the closest to it, and even that was quite a few years ago. And that um, and that actually was the only one. There hasn't been many like this at the Emirates. No, let's just put it that definitely way, where it's a home not. game against a title rival, and it feels like there's an awful lot of that on the line. So yeah, it's can't wait, <laughs> cannot <laughs> wait. Um, How many hours to go? Uh, yeah, I, well, we've got to fill. It's about another two days and uh, six <laughs> hours. 54 hours and counting and a bit uh, where we are now. Um, we all had a, uh, had a wander around the stadium, saw some of the art, saw the artwork up. It looks fantastic, doesn't it, Amy? I mean, it's really beautiful, I think. Uh, I think I'm even more impressed with it up and in real life than, uh, you know, seeing sort of versions of it. On a on a small screen at, at, at points of development, I think the impact of it at full scale is uh, uh, dramatic, inspiring, and actually, in a really sweet way, a bit of a conversation starter at certain places. Particularly the um, the one with all the supporters' club flags. I was there a few hours before kickoff, and there was quite a lot of people from different countries all taking you know pictures, pointing at their exactly the part of the world, and asking other people to take their photos. Oh, where are you from? And it was. It was a real kind of unifier, which was lovely. Adrian, you feel the same way? Yeah, yeah no, complete. I just concur. I haven't been all the way around the stadium yet, but yeah, I, I love I love them all. I think the ones at the front, the, the one um, with the Invincibles, the, the men and the women, that, that's a really striking image. I, the Highbury one's my favourite, just because it's got a bit of humour in it. It's got, obviously, the the back of the old East Stand, which is just a, a thing of beauty anyway. And, and just having that, that image there at the actual Arsenal ground just take takes you back. Yeah, really, you know, George Graham on the Marble Hall steps there. Just, yeah, I think that that's a glorious one. So, um, yeah, can't wait for it all to be finished. Um, yeah, I, um, I've had to sign something to say that I'm, uh, I'm okay putting my, putting my face on the, the fan one. 
there's going to be a supporters one. So I'm, I'm quite excited at the um, Great. prospect of that one going up. Um, Adrian, so the last one that's going to go up is going to feature the heads of various various sort of Arsenal followers, people that have worked for the club like myself, yeah. some fans and whatnot. A, a real mixture. And um, yeah, I'm going to be on it. Well, I'm, I'm chuffed to bits about that. So um, yeah, can't wait for it to go up. How fantastic. Go on, Amy. Um, just because uh, it was mentioned last week, I think, on the pod, but the uh, the Ian Wright I Love the Lads t-shirt. Um, thank you to uh, whoever it was who sent me a link on Twitter, but uh, a company called 1886, and I think if you want to look them up, the 18 is uh, written out E-I-G-H-T-E-N and then 86 in numbers, um, actually make these exact models so uh i've ordered myself and i love the lads t-shirt and in case anybody else fancies it look them up because it looks really cool let's have a song then to end amy what have you got for a song what have i got i have i started off with some quite sort of um maudlin ones i was listening to new order and elegia for quite a long time Oof. which is uh, <laughs> the not, one all draw amy come on <laughs> uh, i've decided to go for um well uh, two uh, i was thinking about um Mikel Arteta and his and if you are in a duel and you know this has the feeling of being in a duel you know like you can see sort of it's like two sort of great figures kind of like gun gun in their hand like facing away from each other walking away and then turn and bang now this is head-to-head stuff and i thought i might go for a, a song called jewel by propaganda which was a great song in the 80s and then i thought i might go for something a bit more uplifting which is probably what i will choose uh soul to soul our time has now come gotta do it now quite adrian what have you got <laughs> i've got i've got one for one for today and one for one for free match um the one the one for today is it's got to be justin bieber sorry is it too late now to say sorry mm. um and and it, it even PGO, features PGMOL, the word yeah. referee yeah it even features the word referee in that in that particular song from 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 the boy bieber so i think in the here and now um the, you listen to the lyrics of that song they absolutely fit fit for how we're feeling and and for for what lee mason has has done or not done uh the one i had for the weekend was uh, producer abby probably approved because it's katie perry uh raw um raw because it's a song about standing up for yourself and when you get knocked down come back stronger and also there's connotations with the noise inside emirates i'm sure there'll be a big old roar on wednesday night so yeah one one for post post saturday one for (laughs) pre-wednesday all oh, right, okay. I've I've gone uh, entirely on Lee Mason, really, <laughs> just because this will be the last time we mention it until the next time it happens. Obviously, I've had um, well, I had two. Don't you forget about me, just because I like the tune, the Simple Minds, and the other one uh, was Unbearable by the Wonder Stuff, uh, which features the lyric, <laughs> "I didn't like you very much when I met you, and now I like you even less." I know what you're saying. Such a forgiving soul, aren't you? Uh, uh, Well, we're we're talking about the title here, Adrian, but okay. Yes, yes, you're right. I'm such a forgiving soul. That's it for uh, Handbrake Off. Um, 
Yeah, enjoy the game as much as you can on Wednesday. How good could it be? Thanks to Adrian, thanks to Amy, and thanks to Abby, our producer. And um, speak to you later in the week. Ta-da. Listener.